Welcome to the Indie Prime podcast on IndieLive.radio. And this week we've got something different. It's a, an SMP branch tea break. So my guests today are all branch officers of SMP branches. And what I've looked at this week is to have an outlook from someone from a rural area, from an urban area and a city area. So we get a greater picture around what's involved at different aspects of the population. So my, uh, my guests today include Val Gold from Glasgow Kelvin Branch. Hello, Val. Hi, hello there. Nice to be here today. Thank you very much. And Angela Sutherland from Shetland SMP Branch. Hello there. Hello, hello Angela. And Maggie Thompson from Bears Den North Branch. You're Both yourself and Angela are secretaries. Yes, that's right. And, hello, everyone. And Val, you're a vice convener? I was the, I have been secretary in the past, but I'm a vice. I've just been elected vice convener at the AGM. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, congratulations. Thank right. You. What I'd like to start off with is giving a picture of where you are now from where you've been. So where you've come from is the same place that so many people are, and the non-members of any political party. So what made you decide from being a non-party member to becoming a party member? Val, would you like to kick off? Yeah, if you like. Well, I'm one of the, the sort of Jenny come lately. Um, one of the big surge that came into the SNP and joined after the referendum in 2014. I've always been interested in politics and been quite active you know, my whole life, always voted, always, you know, taking part in protest marches and pickets, things like that. However, I was never, I never ever joined a political party. I voted yes in the referendum and like so many people, woke up the next day, gutted, and I just thought basically, to hell with this, I am joining the SNP and that's what happened. And I think the membership in all the branches surged after that. I think Kelvin went from, you know, maybe about, I can't remember exactly, but at one point there was over 2,000 members at its height. So they went from having relatively small meetings to having to hire master polls. <laughs> and I was one of the people that came in at that point. Super. And uh, Maggie? I was very much like Val. I joined the morning after the, the referendum. I decided to put my money where my, my mouth was. My daughters had, well, my eldest daughter had campaigned very heavily in for the referendum. I had always been a sympathiser. My husband had been an SNP member when he was 16, so he's always been for independence. I came from a fairly left-wing viewpoint, so it took me a bit longer to get there. But I, uh, I lived in England for some time. And that, I think, was probably the pivotal moment when I realised that nobody cared about what Scotland thought. My husband was in Germany at that time, and he knew more from German TV of the referendum for devolution and the opening of the new parliament than I did living in Northamptonshire. So my children and I had no idea of what was going on other than what we heard from friends, but my husband knew what was going on in German, you know, from German TV. And I think that was a pivotal moment in me thinking, this is ridiculous. We we need to we need to be able to make our own decisions. I moved back here, I wasn't involved in, in, in politics at all. And I have to hold my hand up and say I voted for Joe Swinson the very first the very first election when I was back in Scotland until a student the day after, a student that I had said, you didn't vote for her, did you? She'd been at school with her and started telling me a bit about her. And I thought, if I'm going to vote, and I always use my vote, I think it's very important, particularly for women. 
if I'm going to use my vote productively, I have to do it in a fashion where I know what I'm voting for. And I'm not just voting because, you know, it's a name that I know. So I think from about 2003, four, I was, I was very much moving towards voting for independent. But, decide, but I was definitely a yes voter. Maybe not SNP, but definitely a yes voter. And SNP is the only vehicle that's going to get us there. Yeah, absolutely. That's my story. <laughs> right, Angela. Well, my story goes back even, well, quite far. And I've got confessions to make as well. I was living in Edinburgh and very, very upset by the politics of the day in as much as people kept voting Labour and you'd end up with a Tory government. And this was back in the 80s, so uh, Margaret Thatcher was around, you know, or just about to come in. When I decided that I'd have had enough of politics in Scotland because it was impossible, nothing was ever going to happen because Labour would be voted in in Scotland and they would be totally, after that, after we'd voted, nothing ever happened. We never got anything, nothing ever improved. So I got sick of it and left and went to live in London for 15 years and uh, ran companies down there. And during that time, I confess, I did actually vote for Margaret Thatcher, which I'm totally ashamed of right now. <laughs> but at the time, it was a protest vote for me because I was so angry with Labour. So it was just, you know, I'd left Scotland, the place of my birth, which I wanted to succeed and I really wanted the, the country to improve, but I couldn't see it ever happening because all the power and all the money for the country was getting sucked into London. And so after 15 years of living in London, I'd had enough of London. I absolutely hated the concrete jungle that it was there. And then I moved abroad and lived in Hungary for eight years. And watching Britain go through the political, when I could do nothing about it, and watching Britain, how it worked and how Scotland was totally ignored all the time and how Scotland was perceived by Europeans even, how Britain was selling itself to Europe as basically being English. For example, you can't use a Scottish, you can't use Scottish money abroad. Um, you, you have to sign yourself as English on a lot of European forms or you, you know, in order to become a citizen of another country, etc. Some, you know, they don't even recognize Scotland in some places, which I think was deliberate. It's kind of deliberate to make Britain a certain way and to take any kind of power away from Scotland that it can do. Just after Nick Clegg got voted in, promising that um, he would bring student loans down or whatever, and the Lib Dems and the Tories came into government, I returned back to the UK because my children needed to go to English speaking school. Um, ended up in Shetland because my brother was here um, and he was very SNP at the time and sucked me into coming along to stand outside various things in the, in the cold and <laughs> the rain. <laughs> uh, but I, I wasn't really engaged really at that point. I really wanted independence. I really felt that independence was going to happen. And then particularly the week before the vote and then the vow came in and everything changed again. And I was so upset that we didn't get independence. And I was so upset with myself. I hadn't done anything more than get up and vote. I hadn't actually helped anybody um, to I hadn't really persuaded that many people or spoken to them about it. I just turned up and voted and expected that we would get independence. So the next morning, I felt a kind of huge energy surge up inside me, which basically said, this is not the end. And if we ever get a referendum again, and I'm going to make it happen if I can, I'm going to make sure that I don't feel ashamed that I didn't do as much as I could ever again. And you know, you can't expect things to change, change if you stay on the sofa. And I just decided that was it. And I got involved. All three of us have got involved the day after, pretty much the day after the election or the referendum. And then obviously joined the branch, which went from about 50 people to 300 people 
pretty much the same idea that I had as well, that it was kind of a wake-up call for everybody, not to just expect that this would happen easily, that we have to work for it. Yeah, and that really got me engaged in helping the party change internally because the processes that they had and the way that they were dealing with things when I joined was for such a small group. And and like Valerie said, you know, you know we started hiring halls and having big meetings for somewhere like Shetland. That's, you know, we became, I think, the biggest party membership-wise. But uh, obviously, this is a lived um, stronghold. And we are, each time we have an election, we're chipping away at about a 1,000 votes each time. So, but ever since we nearly won a general election, by we, we, we just lost it by about 800 votes. The Lib Dems have been really over the top, really, to try and make sure they cling onto the seat. So, yeah, they've upped their game. <laughs> Super. Well, in fact, it's not the three of you. It's, just, it's the four of us as well, by the way, because uh, I, I used to vote Lib, uh, Liberal Party when I was in England, moved up here, and then by that time it became Lib Dem. I also voted for Joe Swinson, but one more time than Maggie. I voted for it twice. <laughs> I was ne- no. only because I was, uh, I just actually hated what the Tories were doing down south and Labour. And when I moved up here, what Labour were doing up here. Um, so I just went in the middle ground, had no thoughts at all as a English incomer, had no thoughts at all about independence that was completely new to me. And I, I was very late catching up. It was about 2013 before I became really aware about the independence discussion going on. And had the alternative voice of what Scotland was capable of, and then joined the campaign locally here uh, for independence, and also attended quite a few events around you know George Square and Yesterville events, and I was convinced we would win. <laughs> I was broken the day the the result came through, um, and joined very soon afterwards. And uh, it was standing room only. The first branch meeting I ever went to, it was standing room only. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. So, garnishing more support as we go forward, because to some extent it's it's plateaued. How do you feel we could, with with the goal in sight, how do you feel we could get more people on board now? Or do you think we've, we've plateaued as far as membership numbers are concerned? Well, I think that from the high surge just after the referendum, we started to lose a few people because the the fire dimmed down when they realised that we weren't going to have a referendum again very soon. And over the period of time, I actually think that we could easily up the membership again because I'm have I've got people coming up to me who are died in the wool lived down voters and lots of we don't have very many Labour voters left. I think we've got all of those now. <laughs> But the Lib Dem voters are accosting me in Tesco's saying that they're now SNP, but they're not members. So I think we can definitely reach out to them and bring them on board. It, it just, it's because of COVID, there's no meeting place. You can't, you can't knock on their doors. You can't put up a stand at Tesco's or anything. There's nothing. So I think that really we have to put out articles in the paper and put out adverts really and maybe send out leaflets and explain why it's important to join now, not wait until the referendum. Yeah. Maggie? I agree. I think there's a silent, you know how they talked about the silent Trump voters? I think there's a silent group, quite a large group of SNP voters that for various reasons don't feel able to join but will vote. I'm just thinking about my youngest daughter and the job that she does she's very mindful of perhaps being a member of a political party is not the thing to do, but she would always go SNP. And particularly in in our area, there's lots of people who run companies or are um, involved in council work. We even have some members that are involved in Edinburgh in ministerial work, civil servants, fairly high up in the civil service who are died in the wool SNP, but for whatever reason cannot cannot join. Or if they do join, they don't attend meetings because 
it wouldn't be seen to be right for them to be joining the team. So we, so we do have quite a number of silent members who can't be seen to be politicking, but definitely are members and give us their vote. And we also have a number of other people who would join, but don't feel it's the right thing to do. I know that in the job um, I used to do, especially in the run-up to the referendum, I was a college lecturer and we weren't allowed to speak about it. You're in a, an educational establishment where they teach politics, but you're not allowed to speak about the referendum. It was a Northern Irish guy who's the principal there. And, you know, people, students would be asking you and you say, well, actually, I can't talk about it. Until the last week, and I went in with my yes band on. Um, and instead of having it turned inside out, so you only saw the blue, I turned it the other way and I thought, well, what can they do, sack me? But it wasn't until probably two years after that that I realised that the amount of my colleagues that worked in the largest college in Scotland, the majority of them were SNP voters. It was just bizarre. How do we increase it? I'm not sure. I, I, at the moment, I'm terribly worried about the party and some of the people that are in there to, they're looking for a career in politics and I don't know how much of it is that they support independence with their whole heart or whether, well, this is quite a good vehicle for me to go on in a career and, and I know that there are some people like that in it and that worries me. And the other thing that, that, um, that worries me is that there are lots of people who have been long-term members who are now coming out and saying things publicly in the media. And you're sort of saying to yourself, you know, we're so close here. Why are you doing it now? Why are you opening your mouth and filling mainstream unionist media with, no, I'm not saying it's nonsense. The party needs to reform. It's still working as a small party and it should be working as a large party. And it's not doing that very well. But why are these members or these people that held senior positions in the party trying to destroy the very vehicle that will give us independence? I don't agree with everything the SNP say. I don't. But my eye is on the prize of independence. That's what I want. I want it for my children and I want it for my grandchildren. Do I agree with everything? Absolutely not. But would I go on and, and say, well, I don't agree with this, and I don't agree with that, and I don't agree? Not at this point in time. That's that's something you discuss internally. And that is my biggest concern just now, in that I don't think the party are engaging with their members in a positive manner. And that really concerns me. They're not using the talent of the big influx of people that came in in 2014. And I think that's a huge week. Mm -hmm. well. I, would, I, I, would share, I would echo Maggie's concerns. I mean, although I'm relatively new to the party in terms of like six years, I think that in recent, the last year or so, there has been, the, the trend of membership has very much been downwards. I think I saw that um, recently that the membership has gone down from about 125,000 to about 85,000. Now, I mean, in some ways, you know, from a, a high peak, it is, you know, it is understandable that that would plateau. But I share your concerns, Maggie, and what worries me is um, that that complacency of taking voters for granted that was the downfall of the Labour Party, mm -hmm. which at one point was seen as impregnable in Scotland, you know, that they totally took this country and the voters for granted. I worry that there are slights, there's a slight um, tendency like that in our party as well now. And exactly what you said you know like back in the day you're kind of i mean obviously you know from talking to people and working with people who've been in the party for a long time for who, many of whom i've got the greatest respect they really were in it because they were totally committed to independence for scotland and many of them had no that they are they are now elected a lot of them but back then there was very little chance of being elected and they went through hell a lot of them you know like chapman doors when um you know, the smp were in, in labor areas where you know there were it was a very very difficult thing to be a member of the smp back then whereas now 
I do think that you do get people coming into the party because they see it, as you say, as a route to, uh, you know, a well-paid job and a career in politics. And um, I think that is a danger, you know, that I'm hoping that there's still enough people that are there with the true commitment and, you know, that they're here for, you know, the, the right reasons. But there is a danger that I think we have to be um, alive to. By the way, I, I, I realised that you all mentioned your previous voting and I didn't mention that. Like I said that I joined the SNP in 2014, but I had been voting SNP for about 11, 12 years before that. Um, I had been a Labour voter all my days and then uh, I got grew increasingly disillusioned with the Labour Party. I'd never been a member of the party, but during the Blair years, I was becoming more disillusioned. And then the war in Iraq was the final nail in the coffin. Mm. From 2003 onwards, I've been voting SNP, but um, we're all active in the party now. <laughs> yeah, from what you all said, it's in relation to the, the influx of numbers. And obviously, a lot of people have seen a successful party and thought, well, that's a uh, that's an attractive proposition to go and join and build a career in. But as you pointed out there, Maggie, it's uh, I think it was Maggie who mentioned that the the actual mechanism behind the party hasn't really moved forward as fast as mo- uh, most people would like, considering the massive influx in numbers, and yet they seem to be employing a lot of people. So, you know. It'd be good if a lot of the communication systems were improved. For Maggie and uh, Angela's benefit, uh, Val and I on Indie Live Radio, we're interviewing across the board to get lots of viewpoints. And in in relation to the point that Maggie made of people, uh, members or ex-members or senior officers from the past making comments now, I, uh, I actually sit on the fence to some extent because I think it's highlighting possibly wrong to do it in public but I'll give an example which actually uh, I was actually surprised to read about yesterday was Alan Smith openly complaining about uh, the SNP uh, women's pledge group but also the SNP commonweal group. Now I've looked at the commonweal pledge and it's to be honest it's right up my streets in land reform non-privatisation of our resources, keeping it in public hands, the the green aspect of for the economy in the future. There's a lot of aspects there which I think a lot of SNP members can associate with. And uh, they've got a substantial number of MPs and MSPs who are supporting that pledge. And I thought it was quite something else for, for Alan to come out uh, in the opposition that he did, and of course, what he's objecting to is the they are they are highlighting people to give consideration for nominating for the NEC. Yeah. So, in some respects, that there's the SNP in public making noises in relation to what they don't like, whereas other members uh, are also in public or ex-members in public making other noises and to saying what's wrong. So, I think. It, on all sides, there's a balance there to listen to and take on board. and But everyone will have individual ideas of their own, which is the great thing about a party, which has got such wide political input uh, and interest within it. Angela, what were you, were you thinking? I was thinking of more of um, how we solve that. And obviously, what happens when people are not being listened to by the people in power, they they might bite their tongue for a while, but eventually they'll start talking where they are being listened to. And if the public is listening to them on Facebook, that's where they'll talk about it. But maybe the SNP should give them a, a method of being able to speak what they think to them. So, you know, that maybe the, there should be a, a committee or something that is set up to listen to these people directly so it's not in public. But they they cancelled it last year. It was called the National Council, and apparently well, that's maybe why you're getting more of it on in public. Yeah, because uh, there was a apparently from what I have read, there was a committee. It was held in a small room in Aberdeen at the conference, and a lot of people were having what we're having just now is a tea break chat, 
and they didn't attend that meeting and the National Council was abandoned at that meeting by a small vote, not a small number of people voting. Uh, Maggie? I mean, the one thing, talking about the common wheel, I totally agree with you. Um, there's many, many things in the common wheel that I'm very happy with. As I said before, I don't agree with everything that the uh, SNP stands for, but it's a vehicle to get me where I want to be. And I, and I think it's that for a lot of people, it's a vehicle to get them where they want to be. My concerns about the, the various groups, and I'm really talking about the Women's Pledge group here, is that if you don't sign it for whatever reason, and I agree with many things that the Women's Pledge have said, but I haven't signed it. And there's been personal attacks because I haven't signed the Women's Pledge. I'm not supportive of women. I'm not a feminist. I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy of being listened to because I haven't signed that. I have been an active feminist since the 70s. Since before, I have two daughters, I have a granddaughter. I want safe spaces for women, I want safe spaces for everybody. But as a person, I was subject to a huge amount of, I wouldn't go as far as to say abuse, but a huge amount of... Um, Criticism. Sorry? Masculinity. Yeah. Um, because I hadn't signed the Women's Pledge. Now, one of the reasons I hadn't signed it was, A, there were some things in it that I felt uncomfortable with. And I'm not signing things because it's the done thing. And there was also people um, signing the Women's Pledge. I don't even know if they were SNP members. Some of them were proved that they weren't SNP members. So, so that nastiness that I was very surprised about now, you can say I'm naive. It's a political party and politics is a, a dirty business. But I honestly thought our party was different than that. I came into it thinking this is a broad church. People, you know, you, you can um, disagree with that one person about something, but you can agree with them about other things. But because this women's pledge has become such a big thing, and if you're a woman and you don't sign it, then there's something wrong with you. I think that's wrong. I, I really, I think there's no way that you should be criticised. That's your prerogative. I mean, I think that's, I, I think I have signed the Women's Pledge because I read it carefully. Um, a friend that's a human rights lawyer also signed it. She said there's nothing, you know, it's, it's all very much in alignment with human rights. I, but I would totally and utterly respect your decision not to sign it and I would condemn anybody that criticised you because you chose not to. I think that's very wrong. But what I would say is it seems to me, as I remember, that the Women's Pledge was something that came into being uh, not just out of a vacuum. It came about as a reaction and a response to the Out for Indy Pledge which people were being pressurised to sign and they were being criticised if they didn't. So it was a counterbalance to that. So it was it didn't just come into being out of nothing. It was a response to the pledge by Out for Indy. I have never been asked to sign the Out for Indy pledge. I have never had any pressure for me to sign the Out for Indy pledge. Would I sign the Out for Indy pledge? Probably because I support human rights of whatever persuasion you might be. I have no issues with gay, lesbian, straight, whatever. One of the reasons now I won't sign the Women's Pledge is because of the pressure that has been put on me. Right, right. I don't blame you. Right, right. you know, if somebody had said, I was presented with it, and I said, oh, that sounds really interesting. I'll go away and I'll, I'll, I'll read it and I'll come back to it. You know, I'll come back and I'll make my decision. Took it away. She didn't see anything that, that I was particularly um, concerned about. A couple of issues that I thought, mm, not particularly happy about that, but in the main, not a problem. Until people started telling me I obviously wasn't supportive of women. I obviously wasn't a feminist. I obviously supported trans rights as opposed to women's rights. I ob obviously had a very skewed idea of what rights are. And I'm thinking, 
it just wait a minute. How dare anyone tell me that I'm not a feminist? I probably was can a feminist before a lot of them were born. Can I ask you a question? See the same this sort of attacks on you. Was that in person or was it on social? Well, there was a number of people that spoke to me in person. I've put very very little on social media. Um, just you know, because a lot of the the aggro about this kind of thing does tend to take place on social media, but this was actually in person. This was, in, this was person to person. I'm why really, was I not signing I've never it? Experienced that. Um, my branch. The other thing was I'm not on Twitter, so I'm not part of that. But I do know that things were said on Twitter that shouldn't have ever been said, and from that point of view, I just thought. I, 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 if if that's who's signing the women's pledge, then do you know what? I I really don't want that much to do with it. I'll keep my feminism as what I know as feminism, and um, I'll I'll sort of live with that. Totally see see where you're coming from on that. If you're if you're subjected to undue pressure for something that is your prerogative, I think that I would I, I would I would support you in that. I, I Thank would, you. Angela? Well, um, I feel kind of really lucky now that I live in Shetland and we've never heard of the women's pledge. Never, no one's ever asked me to sign anything. I think it's because we're so far away from the rest of the UK that we hardly even notice anything that happens at headquarters. or, And sometimes when we do see something, uh, an SNP person complaining, generally old people who've had positions and, and are, not, are now retired or whatever, and they come out and speak to the press, it just comes across to me like they're desperate for attention. And they're just yeah. saying things that, that might get some attention from someone. It just looks like a little bit sour grapes. And and I, from looking at the how well the SNP is doing from where I'm viewing it from Shetland, from a distance, it does seem to me that they're doing pretty well at the moment, mainly because Nicola is starting to be liked, despite what the press has been saying about her for years. The message of calm and organisation and honesty that she's projecting, just because she's getting to be on television about on, on, with COVID uh, messages, I think that is winning people over, when, especially when you compare it with what's happening in the Tories in Westminster. Look at how they're infighting. They're in the newspapers today doing it. The longer a party goes in power, especially when they're working as hard as the SNP are, because I personally know how hard, um, for example, Marie Todd is working. They work really, really hard compared to other MSPs. And I, I think that, um, I think they're doing pretty well and they're being seen to be doing well. But at the same time, I would definitely not take any votes for granted. We are going to have to work to get the predicted polls that they're, they're projecting. We, we might not get anywhere near that. So we're going to have to really properly work hard to get votes. But at the same time, so are the other parties, and they're doing terribly. Look at um, how well, the, you know, COVID-19 restrictions are going to affect everybody, including the, the Tories in Scotland and the Labour in Scotland and the Lib Dems in Scotland, and they're not doing very well, none of them. I can't think of anything that they're going to be able to do that we can't do. No well, knocking on doors or anything, but... The one thing I don't want to see come 2021, considering how the polls are going, is I don't want to return to 2017 when we had... We didn't inspire people to come. And what I've been really pleased with is how the the polls have been consistent, but I've never been a great believer in are they are they sending a particular message and will actually discourage people from going out yeah, because all oh, the thing yeah yeah that everyone's thinking oh well they're doing so well i don't need to go out because others are going to go out instead the figures that have been banded about are only going to be achieved if people are actually inspired to come out and vote it happened in our constituency Kirkintilloch, our big SNP voting area, a lot of them didn't come out and vote, but lots of Lib Dems in Bearsden and Mulgaidant, which meant that John lost his seat 
and Joe Swinson got it back. Now, Joe Swinson got it back really very dishonestly because every person in Bear's Day knew that she was never in the sea. She was never here. She would come up at the weekend. She would change her jacket. She would go around. She would get her photograph photographed in various places, pointing at potholes and things, which is a council matter, not an MP matter. And then she would go away again. So much so that my uh, husband's cousin who lives in Bath said that she would see her quite frequently in the way was there at a time when she was supposedly here. So I think we've got we've, um, we've got to be careful of complacency because it lost Johnny's seat at that point. And the other thing I think that lost John his seat here was that he, in, in Bear's General Guide, didn't have a high profile. He had a very high profile in Kirkintilla because that's where most of the constituency work was because that was an area where there was a lot of support needed for his constituents. Whereas here, possibly people were less liable to go and complain to their MP about something huge. They would go and complain about trees and things like that, but not about not having enough to feed their kids with their welfare check. So his profile wasn't high enough here. And I think that's something else. It's about if you have a, 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 a candidate, and that candidate may come from a certain part of your constituency, they cannot concentrate just on that one part. They have called to concentrate on the whole constituency. They're not just representing their little bit. They're representing all of us. And the only way you're going to motivate voters to come out or SNP activists to come out and actually campaign for you is to show that as a constituency MP or MSP, you are going to be there for the constituency, not for your power base. And I think there is a tendency for that to happen. People have their own wee power base, they've got their own pals, they put them in as their campaign organisers, managers or whatever, and they actually forget there's other branches out there that need to be that need to feel committed and that need to feel ownership of any kind of campaign. And sometimes I think there's too much incestuousness, if that's the word, of people supporting folk. You know, if you've delivered so many hundred leaflets, then you get a job as an office manager. I'm not sure that's the way to go. We should be a meritocracy. And that's one of the reasons where I have issues with all, all women uh, candidate If you are going to be an MSP, you have to prove that you merit that post. And positive discrimination is not always the way to go forward. I slightly disagree. I don't have a problem with women being positively discriminated against because historically we've had a very long period of being discriminated against. So it kind of tries to even up things quickly. But I, I do think that the there has to be scrupulous vetting and also a, some kind of democratic process where they win it so that they're up against other people that are, are of a high caliber as well yes. and and so far we've had most we've had one woman person going up to up against a, an MP which we pushed for a few years ago against the headquarters machine which was pushing somebody else on us but we won in the end because we basically weren't going to support the person they were trying to drop on in on us it didn't help us that to win or anything in the long run but we at least we can say with honesty that we did put up a in Shetland that we put up a woman candidate in some ways that kind of opened the door for them to put in Beatrice Wishart as a female candidate which it you know because we were putting forward one for ourselves so that maybe helped her get the the post but at the same time, now the door is open. Anybody up here can go for it. It doesn't matter. Whereas it was unthinkable, you know, five years ago, this would never even been discussed. So I, I do think it does help to have the headquarters pushing to help women become candidates because it's not that easy for them. I would agree with that. Um, if I, I'll just let you and Maggie in a minute. Um, just so, um, that you mentioned the all women shortlist 
I am a little bit ambivalent about them. I do have reservations, mm-hmm. but I do think I would tend to, on balance, I agree with you, Angela, that, you know, given the fact that um, we've had, you know, centuries of imbalance and, and discrimination against women, that possibly there is a need to have an artificial way to redress that balance. And I'm not I know what you're saying, Maggie, you know, the, the argument is the best person should get the, the job. But I mean, that there's an awful lot of mediocre men in MPs and MSPs. So I don't mm-hmm. think you can really say that, you know, the best person has always got the job. Um, but I, I, I do, I don't think it's a perfect system, but I think that to a certain extent it is needed in order to address the gender balance. I agree. I think we need a mentoring programme for to bring women on so that they can challenge, but they challenged on a they challenge on an even even playing field. I can only speak for the constituency. We've just been through a process with an all women um, group. I'm going to say something controversial here. You can take it out if you like, <laughs> um, Ray. We we had five women. We started off with twelve. We didn't know we were going to be an all-women constituency. No one told us. No one from headquarters had any communication with any of the branches. Well, certainly not with my branch and certainly not with Mogai branch. I can't tell you about the other branch. We got it down to vetting um, and five got through the vetting process. I think more than five got through, but some people withdrew. Now, the vetting went on far too long. So we had one person that could actually actively start campaigning and March time, and then you get somebody that was only vetted and got it the week before. So, so that was a fault of the party's machine. Absolutely dreadful. However, there wasn't one of those five candidates that got through vetting that I was confident with, or I felt could do the job that they were going to get paid over sixty grand for. So, I I went onto the hustings, as did my husband, as did quite a lot of other of our members and looked at it, this is a job interview. We are interviewing you for a job that's worth 60 grand to the person that gets it and who is going to represent this constituency in the parliament. And I came off that hustings thinking, I don't know who I would vote for. And I wasn't the only one. There was a number of people in our branch who said, I don't think I'm going to vote. So, that's the thing that worries me that are we ending up and i'm not saying this is the case in this constituency i don't know but are we ending up with the best of a bad job another woman who might have been actively discouraged from moving forward with her candidacy because of other issues that were going on or it could be there could have been another male candidate out there that might have been better for than the group of women that we had now it has not been a very positive experience from the vetting side of it, from the time taken, from the communication that came from the headquarters. I can only talk from this constituency, can't talk for anyone else. And that that's a, that's a concern going forward. Now, I don't know whether the person that's been choosing is going to be a wonderful MSP or not a wonderful MSP, but what I do know is that she is following an MSP that was wonderful so it's going to be a really hard act for her to follow and that was the standard we were looking for we were looking for somebody that could take over from our from the incumbent because he he was a male but a very a huge supporter of females going forward and i don't know that we've got that my gut says we don't have on the positive side if you look at the female MSPs and MPs that SMP have, you can see that at least some of them are extremely high quality. Oh, um, for example, Dr. Philippa Whit- mm. Whitmer, yeah, and Mary Black, and you know, you can you can look at them and be extremely proud that, and not only that, we potentially have an amazing selection of potential replacements for Nicola if she decides to change or you know, move career or whatever. We have really good women in the SMP 
and they've come from somewhere. And I think that that's where we should be aiming. If we're looking for women, women like them. Totally agree. Yeah, the point I was going to make to Maggie there earlier was that I, I totally see where you're coming from. We've got a, an amazing MSP as well, Sandra White, who's just mm -hmm. fantastic. And she's like, um, I think your MSP is um, Gil no. Patterson, is that right? And both of them are veterans. And But, I mean, I don't know what they were like when they started out. You know, they had to, they, they, they're fantastic now, but Sandra's been in the parliament for 20 years. And I think, I don't know about Gil, maybe quite a long time too. So I would imagine that, you know, they are absolutely wonderful. Sandra, you know, what you were saying about somebody who's got a base over the whole constituency. If you're out in the street with Sandra, everybody knows her. Outstanding outside the mosque, people coming out. Everybody knows Sandra and all in the Gurdwara and, the, you know, just wherever she goes, shops, everybody knows her and she's got fantastic relationships in the community centres. It's just wonderful. But that has been built up over the years you know mm -hmm. and um, we've got a candidate in place now um, and before our candidate was chosen I, I spoke to like, a veteran member of our branch and I said you know what do you think you know this person or that person do you think they would be a good MSP and she said to me and she's been in the SNP since I think since the early 60s she says to me you don't really know Valerie because you know some of them you think they're going to be great and then when they get into office they're not and vice versa you get people who you don't think maybe are going to be that good and they end up being very good indeed you know you, you don't really know until they they are elected and they get into the role and people grow into roles I mean you know like People don't become amazing MSP. Okay, you've got your Mary Blacks and your mm -hmm. stars that, you know, just... But, you know, she's not without her critics either, I would have to say. I mean, she's... I, I used to... I, I had a huge respect for Mary Black. But there are a lot of people, you know, who, you know that there are people who have got criticisms of certain MPs that, that previously had very high regard. So what I'm saying is, is that... I don't think we should be too critical. I think we need to let people, uh, when they're elected, support them, campaign for them, get them elected. And uh, when they're there, they won't be just doing it on their own. They're part of a team and they'll have a strong team around them. And maybe some of these folk that were not thinking, you know, that you might, Maggie, you, you, you might be surprised. I, I do think we have to give folk a chance. That's my point. Angela? Um, yeah, I would agree with you, Valerie, about giving people a chance, and you never know how good they're going to be. We had a candidate that went up against Alistair Carmichael called Miriam Brett, and at the time that she was going through the process of fighting against um, his campaign, she was massively slated in the press by Lib Dem supporters for being too young, being a girl, being too pretty. <laughs> And by the time that two, three years later, and she's actually on question time and things like that, knocking the socks off people, yeah, um, I, I think that she's going to be somebody really good and really important in politics. It's, it, it was extremely obvious to me at the time when she was running, but I think it's becoming more and more clear to people in Shetland that she is an amazing person who's going to change the world in some way. and. So you can never really tell how people are going to fit into the job. I agree with you. I, I do agree. I mean, we've got Amy Callaghan as our MP, who's I mean, an amazing young woman. Now, when I was first told that Amy was running, I didn't know who Amy was. And I was a bit concerned about, she's quite young, she's this. But when we went to a meeting and we heard Amy speak, it was obvious that she was going to be somebody who would work very hard, who had a passion, who had a confidence, who had a self-belief in herself and in her country. So her age was immaterial, her inexperience was immaterial. It wasn't, it's not that I'm not willing to give people a chance because, I mean, Amy's amazing. Considering what Amy's been through and is going through at the moment, 
Amy's still there, she's still tweeting, she's still putting things out, she's still being an active part of, of, of what we need in the constituency. So it wasn't even experience I was looking for. And some of them, of, of the people that they put up, did have experience, absolutely, in councils and things. It was passion. It was a belief in, in independence. It was a belief that I will go out and I will fight for this constituency. It wasn't, am I going to be good? It was, it was that passion and that belief that what I, what I was looking for. And that, with the exception of maybe one who I think started off, I would have said, and this is somebody I know quite well, who I would have said, well, I don't know if you could do the job. She came, she came through as the one that had the most passion and the most belief in independence. And that's what I was looking for. It was passion. It wasn't, I want to be an MSP. It was, I want independence for Scotland. I want to represent this and everybody in this constituency and I will work down hard to do it. That was what was lacking. I was looking for the passion and the people that have spoken to me about it, that's what they all said. This tea break bell is just about to go because this that's an hour we've been talking. I've actually really enjoyed the exercise because it's the first time we've just had a podcast where it's just been a blather and you talk about the subjects that you want to talk and you show us your enthusiasm, your interests, your ideas, your points of view. And it's been, it's something that I look forward to repeating again in the future because it's been really interesting. I hope listeners have enjoyed it as well. So Maggie, Val, Angela, thank you very much indeed for your contribution to the Indie Pram podcast on IndieLive.radio. I really enjoyed listening to Maggie and Angela and hearing their views. And you as well, Ray, of course. But... <laughs> <laughs> it was great to meet you all. Yeah, it was it was oh, that blooming for it was great to meet you. Um it was great to meet everyone. I'm um I now have two new people that I know within the party, <laughs> which is always good. Thank well, you. Thank you. Maybe in real life. Yeah. Yes, that would be great. Once once we're all out of lockdown, that would be fabulous. <laughs> that would be really good. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye.